Today, we discuss proprioception or the body's sense of balance and spatial awareness and its relationship with autism, as well as what you can do to help your child if they struggle in this area. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, today we're going to be talking about proprioception, big word of the day. One that I will not use a single time because I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to say what, body awareness (laughs) in space? Proprioception. Oh, now you're getting me all mixed up. Proprioception. (laughs) Proprioception. There you go. Like inception, proprioception. Sure. Let's go. (laughs) The word of the day, like Sesame Street. (laughs) Okay. Um, So proprioception is also called kinesthesia. So if that's easier, you can say kinesthesia. We'll see if I can think of either one when I need to reference it. (laughs) So proprioception is basically the way that we perceive the position and movement of our body in space. So that includes things like equilibrium and balance with the vestibular system and basically how our body kind of interacts with the world and how we perceive our body in space, in the world around us. And I think we had touched on this a little bit in some of the earlier episodes, I think in season one, when we were going through like physical therapy a little bit, right? Probably in physical therapy and occupational therapy. I think we mentioned this a little bit. Kind of like your body space awareness and kind of like realizing kind of the world around you and how it relates to like your your body a little bit. Exactly. So like proprioception basically is the way that we can perceive our location in space. It's how we know if we're moving. So like if you're moving your arm, it's kind of like that internal sixth sense that lets you know that you are moving your arm. Or if your body is doing certain actions, like if you're walking or spinning or things like that, it's kind of that internal feedback system that you give to your brain that lets you know, hey, my body's doing this right now and it's located in this spot in space at this moment. Yeah, because it, because it's a brain. It's basically like if you close your eyes and kind of like hold your hand out in front of you, you have like an awareness of like, okay, my, my arm is in this position because you can not visualize it, but you, your, your brain, I guess – Perceive perceives yeah. like where your arm is being held kind of thing. Exactly. Because like, for example, if you are in your room and you turn off the lights and it's pitch black in your room, you don't typically suddenly not know where your arm is. Like even though you can't physically see your arm, you have an idea of where your arm is in relation to your body. Right. So this would be kind of the the flip side. So a struggle in that awareness. Exactly. Okay. When it comes to autism, this is a sense that's kind of, it's not technically a sense, but we're going to call sixth, it the sixth sense. Because sixth <laughs> that is actually what it was coined in 1906. It was coined as the sixth sense. So let's go ahead and do that. Fact of the day. <laughs> and so basically what the sense is used is to kind of intertwine the sensations in your body with the surround of the world around you. So this can include things like your perception of your joint positioning. So if you have your knees bent or your elbow bent versus your elbow straightened out, it's that sense that you are aware that, oh, my elbow is straightened right now or, oh, my elbow is bent right now. So it's kind of hard to describe it because you're kind of doing it subconsciously. Well, I think plus there's like so many different components of, okay, 
knowing whereabouts your arm is in space, having that knowledge, kind of the neurological system of what your arm is, then it goes to the joints as well. But also, it would also go to kind of the muscles as well. Yep. So if, for like our oldest, for she might be trying to pat her sister on the head and using way too much force because she's not aware of how much force is needed to do a gentle pat. So we always have to tell, gentle, gentle, don't hurt your sister. That's probably one <laughs> of the words we use the most of her is oh gentle, right. gentle. Yeah, because you're right. Proprioception is not just about location and space. It's also about how much muscle force you're using or how much effort you're putting into your movement. So like if you're trying to open a jar, your proprioceptive system is what allows you to know how much force you need to put into your hand to turn the lid on the jar, for example. These are areas that autistic individuals have a difficulty in judging because that's a neurological process that happens in the brain and kind of sends a signal out to your muscles and your body. And when that system is kind of like misfiring or it's not connecting fully in the brain, it makes it so that it's more difficult to judge that. Plus, I was going to say, because it is a, a complex component where there's multiple attributes that are connected, if one is not firing correctly, it can throw everything else off. So if you're not aware of, for instance, where your arm is in space, if you're aware of like your joints and how much force you're adding, because the first item is off, everything else is thrown off after that. So it's such a complex component all fit together in like one area. (laughs) Right. Because it's also closely tied to movement. Because like you said, let's say you're not sure where your leg is in space. Then on top of that, you're not aware of whether your joint is extended or not extended, if it's bent or not. Those are two components that are critical for something as basic as walking. And then on top of that, if you're not aware of where your joint is, do you have most of your weight on that leg, which means you could fall because you have way too much weight on the leg that you're not aware. (laughs) So just kind of keep going down the rabbit hole a little bit of that could be why if your child is like kind of falling over or appears to be kind of clumsy, it might be one of these factors. And I think this is one of those things that like neurotypical people take for granted. It's kind of like breathing. Like we don't have to tell ourselves to breathe. We just breathe. And proprioception is kind of one of those things where we don't have to tell our body, hey, knee bend, hey, arm move. We we just do it and we don't have to think about it. But when it comes to autism, it is something that some individuals actually do have to go through some sort of either thinking process or rewiring process until they get the muscle memory to be able to do it just naturally like a neurotypical person would. Right. And I think when we were talking, I think both of our daughters have experienced this to some degree, but kind of different at the same time. So our oldest was kind of the the one who would struggle with her, I guess, spatial awareness, kind of judging where she is and put herself in kind of dangerous situations. And we've mentioned this in previous episodes, kind of on the playground, not being aware that she's on like an elevated ramp or incline something. or something yeah. and that there's an opening so she can easily fall out. And then I think for our youngest, it's more so, I guess, judging distance from like what she's trying to like run to, I guess. She's more, I think, on the vestibular side of things, which is like closely related with proprioception, where it's more of the motion component for her. Okay. Whereas, yeah, the older one, she really has difficulty with body space awareness. She doesn't seem to quite understand how much force to put into things. So she tends to err on the side of too aggressive. <laughs> like she's not trying to hurt anyone or harm anyone, but she will try to maybe like pat your head and instead it kind of comes off like a punch. <laughs> she wants to make sure she gets the job done. So she's like, I got to make sure I, I mark my territory here. <laughs> but, but I think we also, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this kind of ties in a little bit. 
We also see it with her kind of going down the stairs, for example. So I'm holding her hand kind of going down the stairs. And it's like she's still trying to judge like where the edge of the step is a little bit. And sometimes she'll like get too close and then she'll kind of slide off the step with both feet. So it's still trying to gauge like, okay, where do I move my foot so I'm far enough onto the next level? If you think about it, these are things that we should be able to do with our eyes closed. If somebody has their eyes open and is having difficulty with this, I can't even imagine what it would be like for her with her eyes closed. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just like, wow, what must that be like? The, the thing is that this comes off in kind of hidden ways. So it's not always obvious because this can appear as just basic clumsiness. So if your child is walking into doors very often or tripping over nothing, or it may be that they keep bunking their shoulder into the side of a wall when they pass it. These are all things that, sure, it could be that they're clumsy, but I feel like when it comes to autism, if your child already has an autism diagnosis, it may be more likely that it's either a proprioception issue or it could be like a motor planning issue or something along those lines. And that's, I mean, I and right what you just described as far as kind of the clumsiness kind of falling, that's pretty much what winded us up in uh, physical therapy. It was her struggling with, I guess, the balance from not necessarily uneven um, just like a change well, I, in floor I was gonna say, texture. Yeah, very, very mild. Too. Yeah. It would be like a hardwood floor to carpet. Yeah. So very, very mild, but she would still trip and fall. Exactly. And there was nothing else there. So we went through physical therapy where she'd be standing on different level or different thickness. Kind of, of like padded floors. Of mats. Yeah. Right. So some would be, like, she'd kind of sink in and some would be much more firm. And first few times, first month, every time she would transition from a soft mat to a firmer one, she would instantly fall. But then slowly, she was kind of able to stabilize herself a little bit better. And there were various techniques that we were able to kind of work with her to kind of improve her not constantly falling. What makes proprioception kind of tricky in autism is that it can present itself very similarly to other things that are also common in autism. So like things like hypotonia or low muscle tone. Is it that they're falling because a proprioception issue or is it because they have low muscle tone, for example? Or it could also be something like vestibular system, like if their vestibular system alone is kind of off kilter. It could be that the balance issue is due to that and not necessarily a body space awareness. It just seems it to like be all overlap. kind of intertwined. Yeah. I mean, some degree. I mean, it, I guess it could be slightly more in some cases on hypotomia. Hypotonia. <laughs> hypotonia <laughs> versus um, kinesthesia. Yeah. Hey, I almost got it. There you go. <laughs> so I guess it's kind of intertwined where it could be one, it could be the other, it could be kind of a mixture of both. And I mean, this, I don't think it was originally on our radar when we first went to physical therapy. No, not at all, because autism doesn't necessarily scream physical type of issues to most people. Usually people think of autism and they think of behavioral issues, not balance and coordination type of issues. And as soon as we learned about her low muscle tone, we're like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. It's her being able not to necessarily utilize her muscles in kind of a um, the same way like her younger daughter. <laughs> I hope our, she doesn't have a younger our daughter. Our younger daughter. So, um, so like her, her sister is very motion seeking and running and climbing and everything. And she wasn't. She was struggling kind of with the motor planning. But I mean, this could very easily be intertwined with that. Exactly. And now that you mentioned motor planning, that's another thing that it can often get confused with. So again, is it proprioception or is it motor planning? Because motor planning is more like the process in your brain that tells you how to move something rather than the process in your brain that is aware of where that thing is in space. So it's like slightly different. <laughs> it's like so complicated. I like, know. <laughs> it's like the, I don't know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, but then the, right. 
there's this other, yeah, it's just. So, I mean, if you guys are listening out there, you're like super confused right now. I would just say if you see anything remotely similar to proprioceptive issues, motor planning issues, anything where you feel like your child is struggling to understand where their body is in space, if they're very clumsy, if it seems like they're having difficulty kind of walking around without bumping into things or tripping or things like that, that's something that we would recommend that you go see a physical therapist for and they can kind of evaluate and see if any of these things are a red flag for them. And and I think that's the nice thing because regardless of what the component is that's causing kind of the the falling, uh, the physical therapist has ways to kind of work through that. So there's different steps to take to try and make small improvements with like balance, working off of uh, unstable surfaces. So regardless if it's kind of Kinesthesia. Kinesthesia. Kinesthesia or <laughs> hypotomia. Hy- hypotonia. Oh my gosh, I quit. <laughs> so regardless of whatever is happening, hopefully like the physical therapist can kind of work with them and kind of help with them in body space awareness. Exactly. And that is something that depending on what the specific issue is, you may be going to a physical therapist or you might be going to an occupational therapist because again, those kind of overlap depending on some of these things. That's so it's true. like- Yeah. So if it's like more sensory related with body space stuff, that might be more OT or if it's something that they need for day to day life, like something that's related to how they're going to be sitting and balancing in their chair in school. Although technically you could work on that in PT, OT might also work on that because they work on having the skills that you need to succeed in life. So that would be considered kind of like a life skill. So that's true. There might be I mean, that's a decent overlap between the two areas. So, I mean, I guess it would be good to, I guess, consult with both OT and PT just to kind of figure out the best approach. If you feel like your child is struggling in any of those areas, that would be our first recommendation is to have them evaluated either by an occupational therapist or physical therapist. I think either way, they will refer you to the right one if it's not the correct person. And they did have like little techniques to try and help kind of along the way, the things that we can work on at home. So it's not like you're limited to only making improvements in the OT and PT office. So like, for instance, I think our infants and toddlers program had mentioned like for going up the, up and down the stairs, something with like tape on each step. So it helps to kind of reinforce like a visual component of like where they're putting their feet kind of. Is that the yeah. So that? our oldest child has a hard time with figuring out going up and down the steps. She's three now. She's like, what, three and a half actually at this point. And she still has a hard time. She's still delayed for her age in terms of being able to walk up and down steps unassisted. And part of that has been because she has a hard time understanding when an edge ends. And so she might see the step and miss it or think that it is a flat surface that blends from one step to another. And because of that, she's more hesitant when she's going down the steps and she doesn't do it properly. So one of the things that was recommended was getting painter's tape, maybe different colors or whatever it may be, and putting it on the edge of each of the steps to give a contrasting color to the step that makes it more visually obvious as to where these edges end to give her kind of like a signal to be more aware of how how to move her body in space so that she doesn't fall. And I think that's helpful too, because if you think of like most staircases, uh, they all are made out of the same material, whether it's a carpet, hardwood, outside it might be like a pathway. They all have the same material. If you're having a hard time judging where the edge is, it's all the same material. So it could kind of blend, blend in. in where you're not exactly sure where it cuts off unless you're perceiving it at a, a certain angle where you can see, oh, it drops down eight inches here, then it's level, then it's down again. So, I mean, I think the painter's tape, different colors, I think that might be a good approach if, if that's something that 
is beneficial. That was actually a pet peeve of mine at the playground because the old playset, they had these steps. So it's like a pathway, but it's kind of like ramps that have different levels. So you would walk flat on like a landing and then it would drop. For, and no, for no reason. Yeah, for no <laughs> just, reason. Just to go down. And then it would raise again and it would go and drop again. And so the floor was very uneven, but the color of the floor was exactly the same the entire time. So whenever she would go across that, she would have no idea when there would be drops and raises. And visually, you can't really tell. It kind of looks like a mirage where it's all a flat surface. Right. So that was a super not special needs friendly playground. I'm so happy that they finally changed it. And I have noticed now at the playground so she'll be on like one of the platforms and when she's stepping to the other one it's a slightly different color because (laughs) well the ground is like that fake rubber mulch with like weird colors on it so she can see like oh i'm on a what appears to be like a wooden dock and now i'm stepping to this weird color thing so she's able to see clearly this is a different texture different level so she's much more aware that there is a change so i was watching her the other day as she was playing on the playground and she did actually slow down and then step down so she was able to acknowledge oh i'm on this what looks like a wood dock platform and then step down to the next level so color contrast is one of the ways that you can do that the other thing that you can do with proprioception is try to give your child options to get that sort of body surround feedback one of the ways that you can do that is through a sensory sock we'll put a link of this to our show notes at some point if you're not familiar with them a sensory sock is kind of i think it's also called a body sock too but it's basically like the sack that you go in and it's kind of made out of like stretchy material and has a little opening for your child's head but they're basically in this kind of cocoon that they can push their arms and legs out of. And when they do that, it gives a little bit. So it stretches, but it still kind of pulls back because it's elastic. So it gives your child this sensory feedback where they can kind of push back and feel where their body is in space. So it's kind of like orientating for them. Right. So we actually haven't gotten a chance to use or purchase the sensory sock, but I think it would be beneficial for Actually, it'd probably be beneficial for both of our kids, but I think our youngest would probably get the most out of it because she's definitely seeking kind of the feedback of her arms and she kind of does like the open, closed hand, trying to gauge like where her fingers are kind of in space. So I think putting her kind of in that sensory sock, she'll kind of be able to stretch out and kind of be like, oh, like this kind of feels nice because I know exactly where my hand is based on kind of the stretchiness of the material. Her issue with proprioception is more that immediate where's my body in space, which is why she does a lot of like the spinning and crashing because she doesn't quite have an awareness. So she does do that thing where she opens and closes it to her hands opens and closes and squeezes them because she doesn't quite know or she'll that like, they're there. Or she'll like insist on like if you're sitting on like a, a lazy boy chair, she'll try and like shove her little body next to you so that she's like pushing against like your leg and like the arm of the chair. So she, I mean, is very much snuggled kind of close to you. So she would have the feedback of, okay, here is where my body is next to like mom or dad. And they do make things for that. There's <laughs> there's this device. It's pretty expensive, but I'm sure through insurance that some people can get it. But it kind of looks like one of those machines that people use back in the day to like wring laundry where you like run it through the little rolling pins and it like <laughs> squeezes the water out. There's actually something like that for autism and the kid can like roll through the two rolling pins and it kind of like compresses and squeezes them as they go through. I think it's the most hilarious looking thing ever. 
But I have heard from some parents who have been able to get it through insurance that their kid actually really loves it. So it's like a weird, like, uh, I think of like an assembly line of like moving parts. Like, Yes. <laughs> it's bizarre. To, like, I don't know how I would feel if I saw my kid going through that. I would almost feel like they're in danger. Like, oh, no, they got sucked up by this, like, wood chipper or something. Right. I'd be, I'd be worried. Like, I mean, someone sees it and they call like CPS or whatever, like, like as far as like... <laughs> something horrible but i mean i mean it's totally it's totally oh, child no, no. friendly I, I, though I'm and sure, it's sure. actually therapeutic so if you all have the ability or means it actually seems pretty cool i bet you kids would absolutely love it i just am a little weirded out by it <laughs> i mean i guess whatever whatever you find that works or that i mean obviously check with like a, a professional before going out and purchasing or trying to purchase something like that if, if it, you think it'd be beneficial for for your child but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely a lot of options out there to try and help with kind of the body space awareness. We, we've only found a few, but I'm sure there's lots more. Another thing that you can do with like physical therapy, for example, that you can even do at home is called unstable surface training. So basically, that's just like throw a bunch of pillows down on the floor and have your kid walk back and forth on the pillows or the sofa cushions and have them work on that body space awareness. They're going to have to work on balance. They're going to have to work on position and space and orientation. You can even do like a backyard obstacle course. Something like that would be really beneficial for your child. So basically like you're playing like the floor is lava is what you're trying to describe. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you can just throw a bunch of things down and yeah, just play floor is lava indoor or outdoor. And then you can use that as kind of like free PT at home. Yeah, actually. And I mean, that's been recommended, I think, multiple times by a physical therapist just for a at-home PT option. So, I mean, and we've, we've done similar things like that. And I mean, they seem to quite enjoy it. You can throw down like those tunnels, or if you don't have any of those play tunnels, you can do it real cheap. Just use boxes that you got from the recent Amazon packages or whatever it is, put the boxes up and tape them together. And look, you got a really low cost tunnel. I think we had used what, like diaper diaper boxes, boxes with like a like bed sheet and some other cushions that they were kind of trying to climb on. And it was, yep. I mean, it was a huge mess, but I mean, <laughs> they had fun. And I mean, they were climbing on, I mean, different types of surfaces and everything like that. Another one that we did is we got a bouncy house, like an inflatable bouncy house that you can get at Walmart. And there's, I'm sure, a ton on Amazon. And it's kind of like one that they have to crawl through and then it's open on the top. And then what we did is we filled it up with a whole bunch of balloons and then we covered it with a blanket on top. So it kind of worked like a sensory sock in that if they pushed up, they would be pushing up on the blanket. So they would have that feedback and that body surround. And then inside they had all these balloons that they could kick around and play with. And so there was all this constant sensory feedback and you constantly knew where your body was in space because of that. And I mean, they absolutely loved it. So I mean, it's not like, oh, they're going to like physical therapy, something that's boring that they're going to hate for the hour. I mean, our kids were squealing and freaking out because they were having so much fun. And I was like, I mean, fantastic, kind of a win-win. I mean, they're they're in love with the therapy, that their at-home therapy, and um, there's the benefit that it's helping them with their spatial awareness. So, I mean, it's a win-win on both fronts. Overall, if you feel like your child is having some sort of issues with this proprioception, they're clumsy, they're getting injured a lot, they're not quite sure where their body is in space, first recommendation is to go and see if you can get them seen by a PT or an OT. But while you're waiting on that, you can also do simple things at home to try to give them some of that sensory and body feedback so that they can practice on finding out where their body is in space and how to work with pressure. So you can do basic things like practicing opening jars or practice 
practicing exerting appropriate levels of force by pushing boxes and doing some heavy work or anything like that. Run all these ideas by your therapist first, of course, but there are things that you can do at home that doesn't always necessarily require high dollar items or even going into a doctor's office. No, I completely agree as far as, I mean, checking with your therapist first and then getting like a at-home game plan. So then instead of just the, the one hour in therapy that they are working with your child, you're able to do 10 hours at home because you have the guidance of, oh, okay, the physical therapist said to create an obstacle course and work on unstable surfaces. Oh, they said practice going up and down the stairs. So you have a list of things that you can easily work on for, I mean, even 5, 10, 15 minutes a day built up every few hours or however you want to break up your day. But then they're getting such a significant benefit instead of just the one therapy every week for 45 minutes. Yeah, it's kind of like doing homework. So you bring the work home and you make it fun, you turn it into play. And of course, we always say if at any point in time your child seems to be struggling, unhappy, not wanting to do it, do not force your child to do something if it clearly is putting them in distress or they feel uncomfortable. Give them a break and see if you can change it up so that it's something that's fun and appealing to them. But we never recommend that you push your child beyond what your child is able to do if like they're not comfortable with it. Oh, of course. And I mean, yeah, definitely find a fun way to make therapy fun. <laughs> yes, make if therapy that, fun. Make, make therapy fun. <laughs> it's basically just play. It's right. basically play. And if you don't want to do any of this at home for any reason, like you're just overworked, you're overstressed, and you happen to have some play cash, you can just take them to one of those like trampoline worlds or those bouncy house places. Just, you know, let them do it with their equipment there, but at least give them some sort of outlet so that they can work on these things at home. Yeah, just make sure that they're safe. I was gonna say even you can take them to a park, but as long as they're safe on the equipment that they're using, yeah, I mean, take them to the park, have a blast. I mean, go crazy. And that's pretty much all we have today for proprioception or kinesthesia. Again, just take a look at what your specific child's needs are, see how you can accommodate them best personally. Always look into the therapist's opinion and just custom tailor everything to your child. I hope that this was helpful and beneficial and um, educational. Educational, yes, <laughs> because now you know a new word. Well, they might. I'm not. You still are working on kinesthesia it. Kinesthesia and. Pro. Pre. Pro. Pre. Oh. oh. Inception. Inception. Yes. Think of inception. <laughs> Proprioception. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you again soon. All right. Bye. Bye. To review, we define proprioception as the sense in which we perceive the position and movement of our body in balance and use of force. We touched on how unstable surface training can be beneficial to further develop balance, as well as how small adjustments, such as adding painter's tape to changes in surfaces or steps, can help your child become more aware of their surroundings. Join us next time as we tackle the dangers of elopement and answer your questions such as, how can I prevent my child from eloping? What can I do to make elopement less likely when taking my child out in public? And how can I best protect my eloping child? This is Embracing Autism.